While the gist is dedicated to explicit content, today we have left the profane fields to lay fallow. It's Monday, July 25th, 2022 from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca, and I'm here to guide you through the news in the next couple of days. On Thursday, GDP numbers will come out, and chances are they will show negative growth, which is not really a logical term. They will show contraction. The economy did not grow. It probably will have shrunk. I'm speaking hypothetically about a future indication about what happened in the past. Will show that it will have shrunk. However... What this will engender is a spate, I hate it when they engender spates, a spate of commentary saying, oh, two quarters, because the same thing happened last quarter, two quarters of negative growth, which you and I know means contraction, that's what a recession is. In fact, this is what Chuck Todd thought a recession was, and he had also thought he caught Janet Yellen parsing words about a technical definition. And um, I, I would, you know, warn that we should be um, not, not characterizing that as a recession. I understand that, but you're splitting hairs. I mean, if the technical definition is two quarters of contraction, you're saying that's not a recession? That's not the, te- no? that's not the technical definition. There is an organization called the National Bureau of Economic Research that looks at a broad range of data. On the Yellen's right, Todd is wrong. And by the way, Splitting hairs? Have you seen Janet Yellen's quaff? That is tight. So it turns out that not only is she right in a technical sense, she's right in a global sense. The only uh, way that a recession is actually defined is the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research, says in retrospect, oh yeah, that thing, that painful economic period that was in fact a recession. And she is saying they're not going to do it this time just because the employment numbers are so good. She's probably right. But the effect of calling something or not calling something recession is not just a bit of labeling. It can have consequences. Is the labeling worth it? I'm always for agreed upon definitions to be applied so that we can understand things better. I don't know in this case if the phrase recession or the chatter about recession actually increases or decreases the sum of human, if not Americans' knowledge. For instance, defining recession is we take the inputs, things like inflation and the job numbers and economic growth, and then we put them all together and a smart bunch of people say, yes, it was or it wasn't. We give a label to the inputs. But in this case, the label actually matters, and the label itself could affect the inputs if we start calling things a recession, or if the NBER doesn't call it a recession, but then there is a clamoring to call it a recession, it could depress people, depress the economy, stifle spending, could have negative consequences. Recessions are a little like the dark ages. They can't really be understood by living through them. I mean, at the time, people just called it the ages. Hey, this is one for the ages. And then it turns out 400 years in the future, turns out it was one for the dark ages. And then like 200 years after that, some small Mark I writes a book and says, actually, they weren't so dark. There were uh, brief periods of light. They just didn't write it down in uh, stone tablets faithfully enough. Another analogy is my goofy stage. You know, I just thought I was wearing Hawaiian shirts in eighth grade as a tribute to Al Yankovic, one of the greats, and not really combing my hair. It turns out in retrospect, it was my goofy stage. So a recession like the dark ages is a goofy stage 
for the ages. What do I predict will happen? I predict it won't be labeled a recession, but just because there's terminology inflation with everything and We all know that depressions are worse than recessions, but when we have a very bad recession, we can't say something like, well, at least it wasn't a depression. We label it the Great Recession. I think we might be labeling this thing the Great Almost Recession. I hope that doesn't lead to depression. On the show today, my guest has been studying the threat of domestic terrorism closely, and he has some dire predictions about what might happen next. We'll parse those predictions with the author of They Want to Kill Americans, The Militias, Terrorists, and Deranged Ideology of the Trump Insurgency, Malcolm Nance, up next. They want to kill Americans. Of course they do. And Malcolm Nance has known that throughout his life. But the they up till this point have been foreign fighters, ISIS, Al-Qaeda and the like. And Malcolm Nance is an expert on those insurgencies. But the subject of the pronoun, the they, the antecedent is our fellow Americans. They want to kill Americans. Subtitle is the malicious terrorists and deranged ideology of the Trump insurgency. Malcolm Nance joins me now. Thanks for coming on the gist, Malcolm. My pleasure. So we've all been watching, I think we've all, I hope we've all been watching the hearings and we've read a lot in the uh, newspapers. And I guess if there is a tension, I'm not even going to address the portions of America that totally discount this or believe in Q. If there is a tension in how much how serious to take this. I think it's a a chapter that's about two thirds of the way in the book and it's about their capacity to do harm. Even if a bunch of people in America have crazy ideas and would quote unquote go to war for Trump, how scared should we be if our military and the apparatus of our security take that threat seriously? Well, uh, if, if, if our government takes it seriously and, and steps up to the challenge, and I think I think they, they have that capacity. I think they will take it seriously and step up to the challenge. The problem is, is that as we saw on January 6th, the opponents in this conversation are your neighbors. And these Trump voting, you know, militiamen, individuals with rifles, it's not just militias and terrorist groups. You know, we saw on January 6th, for every one member of the Oath Keeper, there were a hundred individuals who came with their own weapons, equipment, and body armor to do battle. You know, I believe that uh, they've they've only arrested a few dozen members of the, you know, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, 3% militia, out of the, you know, what's going to be about 2,000 people arrested for breaching the Capitol. So what we're seeing is a movement that's moved beyond the, the armed, you know, the armed militiamen, the image that you might think of a Trump uh, insurgent, to virtually his entire base is, is core to this insurgency. So, so wait, you're 47% of America? Not 47% of America. You have to understand something. Only 75 million Trump voters uh, came out in support of him. Uh, if you look at the total of the overall electorate, that's about 30-35% of the country. Now, that is a significant number. I mean, you mentioned QAnon a little bit earlier. They estimate as many as 20 million people buy into that conspiracy theory. And they are the core of Trump voters. And they mean their whole philosophy is to do violence against liberals. 
So, yes, we're talking about your neighbors being in the millions, but government and law enforcement, I'm afraid, are blinded by the camouflage that they wear. And that camouflage is the white of their skin. Mm. So part of their strategy, or you tell me, do you assess part of their strategy as being to appear ridiculous and therefore we overlook them? Not at all. They take themselves very, very seriously. Just because they come off as ridiculous to us doesn't mean that they don't have capacity, right? I mean, they could literally be in clown cars dressed up as clowns, packing in 20 at a time. But if the clown car had AR-15s and they came out and started shooting people, you'd swear it was an episode of Batman. Mm -hmm. The the point is, is not to ignore the intent behind the words that they say. You know, we thought it was ridiculous and, and shocking for just one day. When one guy came out in, I believe it was in Oregon, at a speech Charlie Kirk was giving and asked, when can we start killing people? When can we use the guns? When can we use the guns? Under corporate and medical fascism. This is tyranny. When do we get to use the guns? No, and I'm, and, I, and I'm not, that's not a joke. I'm not saying it like that. I mean, literally, where's the line? How many elections are they going to steal before we kill these people. So, no. You know, they were given these tools, they bought these tools, they're told that that's for the defense of America and the election was stolen. And this guy's statement of, when can we start killing people? Almost with desire, bloodlust. And then the audience applauded him. That gives you an idea of their mindset. So it doesn't matter how silly you think they looked, right? Meal Team 6, Delta Forks. The Boogaloo Boys, yes. Yeah, well, you know, they have the armed capacity to bring revolution to this country. The question is, when could it happen? And if they'll respect the structures designed to keep them in check. And we're starting to see right now that that's that's waning, that we could possibly lose uh, the ability to control their resistance. Okay, revolution. If the United States Armed Services are foursquare opposed to that, and we know and you've reported that there, of of course, are instances of active duty and veterans who are affiliated with these groups. But let's just say the command and control structure of the U.S. armed forces uh, are, are there to thwart the Boogaloo Boys, Proud Boys, Oath Keepers and the like. How worried should we be? Well, you have to understand, General Milley put it perfectly in the follow-up to the January 6th protests, where he said the armed forces of the United States are strictly, strictly sworn to uphold and protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. And they do not choose presidents. They don't get involved in politics. And that is exactly where you need law enforcement. It's exactly where you need the National Guard and where you need the armed forces and the justice system. And every citizen should be sworn to protect and defend the Constitution. The trick that's being played here is that Trump and his supporters have re-engineered the meaning of the Constitution to mean, essentially, only them. Only them. And everyone else is an interloper. Everyone else is an outsider. Everyone else is a minority that doesn't need to be protected. You know, this is the exact trick ISIS does where they re-engineer the definition of Islam to say anyone who does not join us is no longer a Muslim. Therefore, we're authorized to kill you as an infidel. Uh, The QAnon theory of the storm, the day where everyone is supposed, you know, the armed forces who they think are on their side 
are supposed to sweep down and arrest all liberals, all blacks, all Jews, all women demanding rights for their uteruses and put them on trial and summarily execute them. That is what QAnon believes is supposed to be happening. That's how out of control this has gotten. So I know I am past the point where I ever said to myself, I wonder if push came to shove, if Trump himself or some of his top advisors would really go that far. We have proof that the answer is yes. There is really no internal mechanism stopping Donald Trump and also stopping him from jettisoning those advisors who would uh, in any way limit him. So he will go that far. Even if that's true, part of me does wonder and worry about the effect of thinking that or believing or buying into that idea as, yeah, this is what they were going to do. Or even there's a strong likelihood of this is what they were going to do. Because while I appreciate what you're trying to do here, which is raise the alarm and tell us we shouldn't be sleeping on this very real threat. On the other hand, I do think if most, for instance, a couple things. One, if most Democrats are convinced that the other side wants revolution, then that will revolutionize or that will radicalize uh, the Democratic side. That's one. And two, there's somewhere out there, there's a way to get at what the honest assessment of what they wanted or what they uh, would have done if not countered is. And so I don't see how politics works if you really buy into the idea what many of the people who are extremely powerful want to do is round up their enemies and, you know, execute or try them. I, I you know, it, it weighs on me. What should I do? Let me address that point because you, you use an interesting phrase. You're not sure if politics can work. It's not working. The system has come to a complete halt. You know, when I talk about an insurgency here, an insurgency is not just paramilitary and terrorist. It's political also. Right now, the Republican Party has become the insurgent party. They do not govern at all. Not at all. Their politics are strictly to stop, discredit, shame, and mobilize their base for future you know, period where they're not going to govern. They're going to rule and rule over people. Now, you don't have to believe me. They say that, you know, just listen to them and their to the way they speak and their supporters. They don't pass legislation. The only time that they do is to exclude other Americans from participating in the political process at all. They have become a party that is preparing, preparing for a world that we are not going to like whatsoever. On the other hand, none of this is going to radicalize liberals, all right, and progressives and Democrats. You know, we are trying to get by and move ahead on the concept that common decency has shown to everyone will bring out the better angels of those people. We've already seen they don't care about that. The whole Trump movement was eliminating political correctness, common decency. This, it's, it's an entire movement of of spitting upon your enemy, kicking them when you're down, laughing at it and high-fiving with your friends. So I'm warning you and, and the public who, is, who are reading this book that the system and the structure is fundamentally broken. And the only thing that's gonna bring these people around is that there will most likely, and I'm, I'm afraid that it's going to happen, I don't know when it will happen, there will most likely be a mass murder event on a scale where this will not be able to be ignored. Are you saying, 
that it is a probability that within the next few years, there will be an event where hundreds of Americans are killed by right-wing affiliated groups. I'm saying there's a possibility. My point is, is that you have to start thinking in countering possibilities. Probability means that we've seen structured and planning and blah, 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 blah. I'm not gonna go that far. But the possible, you know, then again, for every one militia man on January 6th, there were 100 normal quote-unquote citizens who came armed to the teeth to beat cops, right? They are way beyond the militias and the terrorist groups now. The average Trump supporter has an AR-15. Average Trump supporter believes he's supposed to be preparing for civil war. The average Trump supporter is talking about how they have all the weapons and can they can make determine what happens in America. The average Trump supporter believes the election was stolen from them and that they may have to deal with it in force. The average, above average Trump supporter, 58%, believe that the attack on the Capitol was justified and an act of patriotism. So, if we're talking about the averages, then we have to understand that the probability of a critical incident which kills a lot of Americans is very high. Now, when that happens, the question is, will this recalibrate them when the president or a governor or a chief of police with a SWAT team has to go down or has to come down hard with an iron fist and massacre through through combat, urban warfare, insurgents who think that they run the government? And will we as a nation be ready to shame them? and break this fever grip on the Republicans, because that's what it's going to take. Otherwise, they're going to go, well, we're going to find another way around this, and we're going to do this again. Mm-hmm. If you were assessing a foreign insurgency, as you have, and they had the reach capacity and uh, support uh, of, broadly speaking, the uh, right-wing militia organizations or those that would do harm. But on the other hand, you had a government who had the capacity that the United States does. How big a risk would you say it is for that country? You know, that report exists. That report exists in the halls of MI6 and the offices of DGSE and the offices of BND in Germany. You know they have had to write the Civil War Possibility Assessment Report for the United States of America. And, you know, and I've talked, I've spoken to other foreign intelligence officers. They can't believe it. They can't believe what's going on in the country. And you know what that report would look like? It would look like my book. It would look exactly like my book. My book is an intelligence assessment. I am not a hyperbolic person. But when when the alarms are blaring, when I can see the fire, in the firehouse, I'm not gonna sit inside the truck and go, well, I'm waiting for a fire company to come put this out. You have to actually confront these things. My problem is I'm never wrong. I've written, (laughs) this is now my fourth book on uh, my fifth New York Times bestseller in a row, and it's my fourth book on the Trump administration where I've written usually about two years in advance of the next book, and this one, This one has turned out to be completely prescient, you know, so heed the warning, friend. Okay, so in five years, if you do an honest assessment of if you were right or wrong, what are the conditions where you would say, okay, I was wrong? If something politically breaks amongst the Trump supporters, and I don't mean the death of Donald Trump. This has nothing to do with Donald Trump's 
life or death. He is their avatar. He's their tribal chieftain. He is the, the Gandalf that gave them permission and set them out all to go look for, you know, to go on the, the, um, the, the quest of the ring, right? Yeah. They yeah. think of themselves as an army, as a fellowship. Have people, you know, they can look to their right and their left and they go, 1776, and they go, hell yeah. Okay, they don't think like the average person anymore. When you see people say they are, they are steeped in cultism, I've spoken to Steve Hassan, one of the top cult analysts in, in the world, and he says, yes, this is what you're looking at. You're looking at people who have, have created a, a situation where no reality is allowed to intrude on the vision of what they've done. And again, ISIS did this same thing, convinced people that they were the immediate companions of the Prophet Muhammad. And if you execute people in 2020, you are executing people as if you were standing next to the Prophet Muhammad in 632 at the Battle of the Trench, and he will look upon you favorably. Yeah, that's crazy. So, you know, we can't allow this fantasy, this fever that they have to continue unabated. I mean, if Trump passes, he, you know, I always say he's one hamburger away from a heart attack. That doesn't mean that that, that Trumpism goes away. It's just a, a, this new cult-like belief that they own America. Only they own America. And that everyone else in the nation, 65 to 70 percent of America, must be bought to heal under their fascist version of America. Uh, like the woman said uh, a year or so ago, I didn't think I'd want a dictator, but if I have to have one, it should be Donald Trump. They want to kill Americans, the malicious terrorists and deranged ideology of the Trump insurgency, written by Malcolm Nance. Malcolm, thanks so much. It's my pleasure. And now the spiel. A new survey just released garnered a lot of coverage for its headline finding that was characterized as both shocking and predictable. An LA Times article about this finding was titled, He surveyed 8,600 Americans about political violence. The results are beyond scary. Columnist Steve Lopez notes, sadly, none of this is surprising. The Lubbock Avalanche Journal begins their story on this, quote, With all the vitriol and rancor in the country these days, no one should be surprised by a recent survey indicating about 20% of people believe political violence is justified in some situation. The Lubbock Advanced Journal then spent a few words summarizing the findings, noting that 3% says political violence is always justified, which is a nonsensical notion unless they're really worth... 10 million Americans gunning down rival partisans every day. But then the AJ goes on to say, to anyone paying careful attention to the nation's downward trajectory the past two decades, this will hardly be the stuff of revelation. So it's a news story that leads with the idea that what you're reading isn't really a news story. But it is news. I just heard it on the news. We just heard Malcolm Nance say a version of this on this, a news show, that there are tens of millions of Americans eager to take up arms or cheer on those who do if the election results aren't what they'd like. 
I would be foolish to say that's not possible. I mean, it's America. It's 2022. Tensions are high. Guns are plentiful. Lies are rampant. It's never been more tempting to go to the mattresses. Hey, given our advanced technology, a mattress could come to you by as early as tomorrow. And also, I should say and will right here that the correct answer for an American in the present when asked, how often do you believe political violence is necessary? The correct answer is never. You answer never. The only thing is, the answer to that question, polling reveals, has never been never. They've been asking this question for more than a quarter of a century. And when times were peaceful in the 90s and Friends was in its first season, only 82% answered violence is never justified, which by implication means there were 50 million Americans ready to revolt in 1995 when Toy Story 1 came out. Again, never should be 100, but that question then in 95 was asked days after the Oklahoma City bombing when the presence of organized right-wing anti-government terrorists was surprising many Americans. Never justified soon after that, or not so soon after that, but by the 2010s, dipped into the 70s. In 2015, during the Obama administration, never dipped to 69%. Then about six months ago, a new poll came out. The number was worse than ever, never was. 62% said violence is never justified, meaning the top line figure was this. One in three Americans say that violence can sometimes be justified against the government. This information coming from a Washington Post and the University of Maryland poll. It showed just how deep the partisan wedge between Republicans and Democrats really is. That was KWTV reporting in 2021. Scary, troubling, all the fretful adjectives, the fretful family of adjectives. It was the subject of my first show of this season two of The Gist. But my second guest on season two of The Gist was Dartmouth professor Brendan Nyhan, who has studied and worried about the weakening of the anti-violence norm in America. But he still says that most of those very troubling findings are based on sloppy polling and inattention among respondents. When you go deeper, you will only find a small percentage of people endorsing political violence in America. But the surveys widely quoted and widely worried over would have us believe that 75 to 100 million Americans will cheer on shooting in the streets, if not operate the weapons themselves. Nyan finds the real number is a few million would support threats and harassment, and lower still would actually support bloodshed. Still, it is a few million people ready to revolt, either violently or by very nasty words. It's not 20 to 33 percent of us, however. Then there's the question of what percent of Republicans think the January 6th insurrection was justified. YouGov has been pulling on this for a while, asking, quote, do you believe the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol was justified or not justified? In June, latest finding, 26% of Republicans said, yeah, it was justified. Disturbing, but also, according to that survey, 11% of Biden voters said the attack on the Capitol was justified. Inattention? Weird belief? Bunch of people walking around saying, well, I did vote for Biden. I wanted him to win. But when the evidence of Italians manipulating satellites are in, I mean, they're in. 2,000 mules don't lie. Wish they did. But here's another survey from before the 2020 election. 44% of Republicans and 41% of Democrats said there would be at least a little justification for violence if the other party's nominee wins the election. That, of course, prompted a round of worry, lots of worry. Only those questions were asked before the insurrection, and then the violence did occur, 
And we just, as I just said to you, the number actually supporting it was 26% of Republicans. So if you take those two findings, you could have said seeing actual violence on January 6th convinced 40% of Republicans who said they would have supported a little violence not to actually support violence, at least as it showed up on that date. That's if those numbers, those polling numbers are accurate. I do not think they are. There's not that kind of widespread a taste for bloodshed over elections. If there were, we'd see it in bodies, not in polling numbers. There is not going to be a civil war in the next few years, unless you define civil war as something close to the kind of politically motivated killings we see to this day. But whenever the Proud Boys get attention or an abortion doctor is targeted, it doesn't inspire insurrections that have to be put down by tanks. Violence is already here. We'd have to multiply that violence times 100 or 1,000 for there to be a real civil war. I don't think that's going to happen. There could be more coordinated attacks. The plot to kidnap a governor or something like it could actually be tried, not just talked about. Absolutely. But that is a far cry from this rhetorical question as posed by CBS Sacramento. Nearly 20% of respondents say they believe political violence is sometimes justifiable. 50% agree with the statement that in the next several years, there will be a civil war in the United States. It is alarming. It is overly alarming. The head of the group that commissioned that poll, which is called the Violence Prevention Research Center, is a man named Garrett Wintermute. He is an emergency room physician. Doesn't mean he can't fund a poll. He certainly did. They got a survey finding that's not out of step with other survey findings. Just happen to think it's out of step with actual sentiment that might show up in muzzle flares. If anything, Wintermute's finding of 20% is saying that the one in three sentiment we heard quoted just six months ago was falling. So that should be cause for optimism. I don't look at it that way. I don't look at it as cause for optimism or pessimism. I think that the polling data is very misleading. But that doesn't mean it's worthless. For one thing, the fact that we've been asking a consistent question consistently shows that whatever Americans mean by it's justified or it's not justified has been trending in the bad direction for quite a while. And I know I risk not being heard in the way I intend when I share my findings and conclusions on this issue. It's easy to hear me as being dismissive or whistling past what will become a crowded graveyard. I swear I'm not. The Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, those of their ilk have to be monitored and thwarted. They are odious actors within the Republican Party who certainly court real danger. Lots of our fellow citizens harbor hatred for are other fellow citizens. But the cumulative effect of reporting these scary stories is not primarily to shed an accurate light. I think it's mostly to scare us more, to convince us the next time if we get a call from pollsters who ask, is it possible that violence will happen? The reporting on the current polls convince us to say, well, now I kind of think so in future polls. We're endorsing a self-defense mindset. And then all sides become armored up and rush to the parapets and the predictions of mutual enmity become reality. I don't need a poll to tell me 33, 20, or less than 10% of Americans want to shoot other Americans that they disagree with. What I know and what you know too is what you saw on January 6th and then you saw the reaction among one of our only two political parties being to punish anyone 
who took January 6th seriously. I would say be appalled, shocked, and worried, very worried about that development, not the chances of an actual civil war. The bigger threat is our fellow citizens using the very civil levers of, if not power, then just the voting booth to select terrible candidates who won't guard democracy. And that's it for today's show. Corey War is the assistant producer of The Gist. Joel Patterson is the senior producer. Michelle Pesca is not an official member of the International Legion of Territorial Defense of Ukraine, but has contributed bunting for their fall semi-formal. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Lipson's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to advertisecast.com slash thegist. Oomperoo, jeeperoo, dooperoo, and thanks for listening. <laughs>